Good morning, Hebron. Uh, this uh, your early me your early service here has more people than were here three years ago. It's uh, I think you had just started it not very long before, and uh, not not too many had yet chosen to come to the early uh, service. But I see there's a bunch of you. Um, it's really a privilege for us to be here this morning, and your folks have really done their best to make us feel at home even by letting me sit down to teach. Uh, normally, my style is to sit on the floor leaning up against the wall with, you know, maybe 5, 10, 15 people in the room and, and we do things in discussion style. So they've done the best they could in, under these circumstances to at least give me a seat. So, thank you. Uh, I was really encouraged with that last song. And what really encouraged me is if we believe what we were singing, and I believe we do, uh, there's just the whole core of our inner being is, is lined up with what God wants it to be, you know, and what, what, he, what he wants. And that's going to be somewhat what I want to talk about today. Um, the topic for this morning is on the mountain. There's a couple uh, scriptures were read that Jesus gave while he was on the mountain. Uh, his last time on the mountain before he left his disciples and went up to uh, be with his heavenly father. And, and it's always good to really focus on the last words people say. It's the thing that's really on their heart. And in Matthew, the focus of those parts of his words were what we are to do, which is to, to go out to disciple nations, uh, beginning where we are and move to every corner of the earth. And it's been our privilege uh, to be part of that and to see that drawing of a nation of people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in Acts, there was a little bit more of the how-to and the how-to really focused on don't go out and do it on your own. Wait here until the Holy Spirit comes and, and the Father sends the Holy Spirit to you to be within you. If we were to go out on our own power and try to see the world evangelized, to see the world drawn to the Lord, uh, it wouldn't work. And we can see in the lives of uh, people like Peter who when he was not yet given the Holy Spirit in residence in his life, uh, he was confident that he could be a good disciple, that he would not uh, depart from uh, Jesus, that he would not abandon him, and yet he's the one who uh, denied Jesus three times, even when he was warned. And yet afterwards, we see Peter having received the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. He is threatened with death, and he says, you guys, he's speaking to the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin would be not only the religious body, but they were equivalent to Congress or something like that. They were the lawmakers in Israel. They were the supreme body of, of authority in the land of Israel. And they were grilling him, and they said, you cannot speak anymore. And he says, you decide for yourselves what you think is right, but as for me, I'm going to keep talking about the Lord. And... Um, he was in prison more than once. 
And finally, at the end of his life, he was crucified, and he was willing to do that uh, because of having the Holy Spirit living within him. And I know you've been hearing some messages on the Holy Spirit and his um, ministry in our lives, and I was just chatting with Doug last night and saying, as we've been translating uh, epistles now for the last few years, it's incredible to see the number of places where the ministry of the Holy Spirit is brought up, and it's always just a little bit different. One time he's praying for us. One time he's helping us to have gifts and abilities. One time he is uh, assuring us that we are really God's children. One time he is uh, assuring us of our position, our place in the body of Christ, and there's just all these different, different aspects to the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And uh, we've been privileged to see what happens as the gospel goes out to the uh, pride people and see some of the changes in their lives. And one of the, uh, uh, one of the first things that happens that we've observed in, in, in a pride person when they come to know the Lord is that they, they lose their fear. Bright people live in fear of spirits. There's all sorts of spirits they believe are around them, and, and there are evil spirits all around them. Uh, they're invisible. They don't know how to avoid getting hurt by these spirits, and they don't know what spirits are doing and what's happening by natural causes. Uh, they can't tell. And so everything is attributed uh, to evil spirits. I remember a, a, an amusing incident to me, came up. Uh, I was studying the Bible. It was early in the morning. It was just turned light, and neighbors came running up and sit, told me to come and look at, the, uh, at our neighbors um, who lived next door. They had a few pigs, and they had a sow that had given birth, and one of them was a uh, Siamese pig, if you will. It had uh, eight legs, four ears, uh, just one nose, but it, but it was very unusual. And there were several responses to this. My response was, oh, let's pickle this thing and send it off to the university and they can put it on their shelf, you know, and, and as an unusual specimen. But the, uh, the pride people were terrified. They're, they're, they're thinking, we've got to get the spirit doctor. We've got to make some, do some ceremonies. We have to sacrifice something so that our wives don't start having eight-legged children or whatever. They, they, they thought this thing was contagious because it it would only be caused, be caused in their worldview by, by a spirit who had something against them. And so they wanted to get things back to right again and uh, see that problem taken care of. But the one who won out in the situation was a woman who lived at the edge of the village. She, she was a, um, a, a wholesaler, a middleman type person that uh, always had an eye out for making money. And she came over right away. She bought the pig, put it in her freezer. She had a fridge. And she would allow people for a fee to come and look at that pig and look at those strange numbers of ears and legs so that they could get a think of good numbers to play the lottery. And uh, so, yeah, economy, economic, whatever, economics went out. You know, money talks. But anyway... Um, they, 
the world view is such that there's, there's a lot of fear. And I just think so many times a bright person newly coming to know the Lord and the first thing that literally evaporates in their life is this fear of evil spirits. And no one tells them, you don't need to be afraid of evil spirits now. They just aren't. And the thing that's happened is in their core, in their worldview, the way they understand things to be, they understand now God is the one who is ruling. God is good. Spirits are beings that we can't see, but they've been condemned. They've been, they've been evicted from heaven. Um, they are subservient to God. God is the authority. And so they're not afraid. They're not afraid of the little guy. Uh, they used to perceive them as the big guy, but now these are, are little people in their sight because God is the one who's in authority. And they belong to Jesus Christ, and, and so these beings have no authority over them. And it's just tremendous to see that, that first initial uh, escape out of that fear. And that's often the thing that draws someone else to be interested. I remember uh, when we first went to Knife Creek and there were a few believers that went along with us and no wrist strings. They, they, they didn't tie their wrists anymore. And people were amazed. You know, what, you don't tie your wrists anymore? How do, how do you live? How do you survive? And they were able to share their testimony uh, that they belonged to Jesus Christ and they didn't need to do that. And this spoke to people. And uh, we just praise the Lord for it. I'd like to read another portion this morning that has something to do with um, this, this same topic of Jesus' uh, commission. This is from the book of Titus. And Paul is writing to Titus, who has a very difficult job. He's on the island of Crete. There's many churches there by now, or at least several. We don't know how many. And there's problems in them. There's people teaching things that are not true. There's people teaching for their own uh, economic benefit and things like that. And so I'd like to just read, uh, I think I won't read the whole four that's in there. I'll just read one and two. This letter is from Paul, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I have been sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. This truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. So Paul is uh, saying what his message is. His message is to teach a body of truth. And the, and the purpose is that people live godly lives. When we were translating this passage, I had a hard time with it. Because uh, my helpers, as I would read it to them and have them try to get it back, give it back to me in their own words, they would always change something. Here it says, um, I've been sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen and teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. To show them the truth uh, that enables them to live godly lives. They wanted to say, teach them to live godly. And Paulus, his main message isn't, here isn't be godly. His message is 
here's some truth about God. Here's some truth about Jesus Christ. Here's some truth about yourselves. And when people appropriate that truth to themselves, when they understand who God is and what God has done and what Jesus Christ has done and who the Holy Spirit is and stuff, and, and, and there's a lot we could say about that, they are able to live godly lives. Living a godly life is based on, on a perception of reality. You know, what is really true? There's, we were at a workshop some time ago, and, and, and they had up on the screen these uh, four circles. And on the outside circle was activities and institutions and things people do. And oftentimes, our, our reaction is we, we want to change what people are doing. And sometimes this is true with us and our children, and we do have to do that as we raise children. We do have to correct behavior. We do have to train behavior. But we want to look beyond that um, because these things that people do are motivated by values inside, things that they hold dear uh, and true. Um, for instance, uh, some... U.S. agricultural people went into Laos. It's across the border from us. And they taught people uh, agriculture methods that allowed them to grow twice as much rice as they currently were growing. The Lao people were very appreciative. They learned the new methods and they planted half as much rice because half enough was enough to live on. And the Americans thought they were going to boost the economy and raise the standard of living, but they didn't. Because there was a, a big value there that people had, which is, take it easy. And uh, enough is enough. And so they would plant half their acreage and, and still get by. There was a value there working that the, that the agriculture workers didn't know about. And often as we want to teach behavioral things, there's something else going on underneath. Uh, that we, we're not seeing, and that's values. But even these values, there's another layer down under there, which is people's worldview. What do they really understand to be reality? And we can try to change values. We can try to say, you should value this, you shouldn't value that. Um, for instance, in the way we spend our money, you know, we can, we can try to instill good values in people about how we handle our finances and so on. But if the underlying core is, I'm the most important, I don't have any authority above myself, we're not going to get very far. It's only as people perceive themselves as, uh, for instance, in the area of giving and stewardship and things like that, they perceive themselves as part of the body of Christ. That's what's going on in the world right now is God has a program of pulling all peoples uh, to himself and, and this is what's important in this day and age, that people can, can shift their values uh, to be uh, in line with what, what God is teaching. Uh, a couple years ago, uh, when our son got married, I guess it's been almost four now, um, he asked me to speak at his wedding. And there were two of us who were going to, going to speak, and then there was a local Thai pastor who was going to officiate. My son married at... Married at a young Thai lady, and so my message was going to be in Thai. And it was a little bit hard for me because here's Caleb, and he's taller than me, and he's right in front of me, 
and uh, I'm having to preach to him in Thai. So it's, it was kind of hard. But uh, what I taught on was 1 Corinthians. And <clears throat> it wasn't the part that deals with marriage. It was some of the first few verses in chapter 1. Because in those verses, Paul lays a groundwork of understanding of what we have in Christ. He was telling the Corinthians, you have the gifts and abilities to live a good life. You have wisdom from the Holy Spirit. You have encouragement from the Holy Spirit. You have all these things already. And uh, he was setting them up because he's ready to deal with some difficult issues on in the book. But he wanted the, Christ, the, the Corinthian Christians to know that they had what they needed already. And as you go through this, you don't see this section. There's no re requirements. There's no instructions that Paul is giving them yet. He's just saying what is. What is true. And he says, God is faithful. God's going to do this. God will keep you um, unstained. Um, all I can think of is the pride word. I'm E.T.T. I'm E.T. Carl. Unstained. Uh, blameless, I guess is the, the English word. Uh, he will keep you blameless at the day when Jesus Christ returns. You will be found blameless. God is able to do that. And um, so... It's been our privilege to be able to uh, share with people. And as we've shared with the pride people, fortunately, there's, there's someone that came alongside of us first and in our training and gave us a glimpse of some of the groundwork that needs to be done in people's lives. And he really encouraged us to begin in Genesis, begin with where there's only God. And God in creation reveals some things about God. It reveals that he's all-wise. It reveals that he's all-powerful. And it also reveals that he's loving. I like to tell people what I, uh, something I read in National Geographic that whether it's animals or plants, only about 1% of the species that were in existence in the beginning are still, are still around. You know, um, various things, mostly through the flood, but various things on have happened and, and you know life has been simplified and reduced uh, on this earth you know it is wearing out and um, it's just almost inconceivable the variety and the beauty and, and so on that, that God created when he, when he made the earth we look around us and we see a lot of beauty Fran and I just so enjoy driving through Pittsburgh because you're never out of the woods you know, there's nowhere in this big city you can plant lettuce or tulips and have much confidence that the deer won't eat them. You know, you, you guys live in a beautiful city. Um, and, uh, but still, it was is even fantastically more beautiful when he created it. God loves us. God is creative. God is artistic. You know, we, we can see a lot about him just in creation. And then as it moves on into the fall, we see God's grace. Man sinned. What did God do? Did he punish them right away? No. He came down and he talked to them. We don't know what would have happened if Adam and Eve had repented right from the beginning rather than passing the buck. Uh, punishment might have been much less. We don't know. 
but God was gracious, and he offered them an opportunity to, uh, to repent, to restore the relationship. God already knew from before he created man what we would do and that he would have to send Jesus Christ to die in our place. He already knew that. But he came down. You know, it looks like within hours, maybe within minutes after the fall, God had come down and he was there. As you go on into life as it unfolds, Cain and Abel, I was sharing with some of the guys last night, you know, it's a, it's a marvelous study on the grace of God. We never, at least I don't think we usually think of the story of Cain and Abel as being a story of God's grace, but it is. Uh, Cain was already a sinner. God had every right to punish him right there on the spot. But he offered both he and Abel a way of sacrificing and, and restoring that relationship. It was just a picture of the real sacrifice that would restore it. But they had a, an opportunity to walk by faith in that situation. Cain didn't take it. Again, he wasn't punished. God, but God spoke to him by not receiving his sacrifice. Cain had an opportunity to repent. He didn't take it. God came down and, and encouraged him and warned him. He didn't listen. He, he, he killed his brother. God came down and spoke to him, gave him an opportunity to repent. God, uh, Cain complained about the punishment. God was kind to him, gave him a mark on his forehead or, or on his, somewhere on him so that um, he wouldn't be killed. You know, the grace of God is all over that story of, of God uh, relating to Cain. And as we teach the pride people, we begin at the beginning and, and we share these thoughts so they can really <coughs> grasp uh, who this God is. And by the time we get to... Uh, John 3.16, God so loved the world. It means something. God so loved the world. Well, he loved Adam. He did this and this and this and this. He created. He was forgiving. He made, clothed them with skins. He was kind to uh, Cain. Uh, he was kind to the people, even though a flood was going to come and destroy. There was this great ark made, and whoever wanted to escape could. Uh, he was gracious to Abraham. Abraham uh, did some bad choices and yet God was still kind and gracious to him and fulfilled his promise when God so loved the world carries the whole weight of all these, these incidences it's not just a word you know and people have to think what that means no what that means has already been demonstrated time and time and time again by the time they get to it and they're able at the core of their being to perceive themselves in a different way, to perceive God in a different way, and really understand God's salvation. And we really praise God that we were encouraged to teach the word thoroughly from the beginning. And what I, one, one thing I would like to encourage us, you know, the topic today was going out into the world and trusting um, the Holy Spirit to enable us to minister to this world, to enable us to work in people's uh, people's lives. But you know, all of us have a ministry in our own families. Some of us have young children that we're training. Some of us have older children that we're training. Uh, some of us have grandchildren or even great-grandchildren. And we have an opportunity to minister uh, right in our own little circle of families. And let's not focus 
overly on behavior, but to really be sensitive to what people need, where are they at in reality. Uh, Fran was just sharing with me, she was, she was online looking at a, a group called Summit yesterday. And uh, Summit is, a, is an organization which uh, has seminars for young people who are headed off to college to really acquaint them well with the world, with their, the biblical worldview and to contrast it with the secular worldview that they're going to hit in many institutions of higher learning. And it's disappointing that many children whose parents are godly are, are not going along and with that they're not putting their faith in Jesus Christ. And sometimes it's because we, we may have been kind, we may have been loving, and we're, we're reaching their hearts, but we haven't really reached their minds. And as we, as we uh, continue to minister in whatever circle we, we are, let's always keep in mind that, you know, what's, what's underneath? Where are we really at? What is the Holy Spirit really wanting to do in a person's life? I just want to encourage us along those lines. I have one little story I'd like to just share how uh, there, was a, there was a girl, her name is Mai. She lived in the village of Knife Creek. And she professed to believe she was baptized several years ago, but she kind of just fell off the radar. She, she wouldn't come to any meetings. She went away to work in the city. And some time ago, uh, she got married, and her husband was, was being unfaithful. And she started calling us. She called me. She called some of the women who were... Uh, in, in Knife Creek there. Everybody has cell phones now in Thailand too. And uh, I got really tired of it after a while because she would call and whine and we would, we would always encourage her or try to encourage her that the Lord has something in this for you. Uh, you need, what you really need is to know the Lord. And she got this from everyone. It was pretty consistent. The body of Christ answered her the same way. Um, one day... My, uh, I get this phone call. We're right in the middle of a translation s session. And I look at it and it says, My. Oh boy. Flip it open and, and start talking. There she is, just totally excited. Hey, oh, Dave, I'm so excited. I'm thankful that all these troubles happened to me because now I know the Lord. If I hadn't had these troubles, I would never have really come to know the Lord. And, and she was just totally excited. And she came home. Um, to her own village, she started spending time with one, another believer, who really discipled her every evening. And uh, it's just amazing to see the transformation. And all these things were happening. There was, there was a little bit of a foundation of God's Word, but the Holy Spirit hadn't left her alone. And troubles came into her life. But the Holy Spirit used those to bring her into a knowledge of Himself. And... Uh, we have a lot of tough situations. I know you all do. Uh, they're economic. They're uh, tragedies. There are just hardships of various kind, health issues. Uh, we all have troubles. And yet the Holy Spirit is there. And uh, let us be looking to Him as we go through life and meet its challenges. And as we... Uh, take our place, find our place, and take our place in where the Lord's leading us. Thank you.